So greetings, if you've just joined us, if you're joining us online, I am Joel and I'm privileged to pastor Heart City Church, a church that is revealing that our God is not a catch-me-if-you-can sort of God. Our Father earnestly desires to communicate all the benefits of the gospel in Christ to us, and he does that through the means of grace. Heart City Church is a means of grace church. Who knows what the means of grace are? Jacob. You want all of them? Yes, all of them. Uh, the word, prayer, and the sacraments. The word of God, the prayer, and the sacraments. The catechism actually tells us that the ordinary external means by which Christ brings to us the gospel are the word, the sacraments, and prayer, all of which are made effective to the elect for salvation. You can find a scripture proof, Acts 2.42. This is what the church did from the start. These are the means, the ways which you and I get the gospel benefits and what saves us. That means every service here, the word of God is faithfully preached. Every service here, we have the sacrament, the Lord's Supper. And every service, we have prayer. And leave it later, after we have the sermon, we'll often get up here and pray for several minutes, at which point in time, something incredible often happens. What's that, Joel? Well, at that moment, when we hear, let's bow our heads, Someone sitting over in the back over there may have noticed earlier uh, two splotches of paint on that pillar. For some reason, they'll start thinking about these paint splotches, and they'll open their eyes to peek at the paint splotches, and they'll notice that one paint splotch has kind of a pinkish tint. And then they'll think, you know what? The bathrooms, the new bathrooms are gray, and I don't know if that pink's going to go with the gray. And then they'll think, after the service, I'm going to have to go in the bathroom and check and see about that gray to see if it matches. And, and I heard there might be new fixtures in the bathroom, and I wonder what, what fixtures we have there. And I hope that they're going to put in air blowers because air blowers are much more environmentally friendly than paper towels. And then they'll think, but no, that wouldn't be good because if somebody went in the bathroom during prayer time, the blowers would be noisy, and then we would get distracted during prayer time. <laughs> and to be equal opportunity... Someone over here in the front row might be thinking, hmm, the pastor's wearing green today. Last week he wore white. The week before it was red. And I remember purple before. And then they will hear the person in the back and the person up front. Suddenly they'll hear our Father who art in heaven. And then they'll jump in, hallowed be thy name, and then we'll go on and on. Someone over here is focused on paint colors. Someone here on shirt colors. And you're saying, Joel, how do you know that I get distracted during prayer time? Well, for one, I heard some laughter. And number two, I get distracted during prayer time. Sometimes when I'm even saying the prayer. Praise be to God for Luke 18. Please turn in your Bibles there. We'll hear the word of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You'll find it printed in your bulletin as well. Now hear the word of our God from Luke chapter 18. We're going to read the first eight verses. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused, but afterward he said to himself, 
Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find the faith on earth? The faith on earth. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Out of the depths, O Lord, we cry to you. O Lord, give ear to our prayers. Have mercy now. Our need is great. Our time is short. Will you do something monumentous in the moments we have? We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. In our spiritual disciplines class, Donald Whitney opens his book on prayer, his section on prayer with this illustration. In New Mexico, you'll find the largest radio receiver on the planet, the Carl G. Jansky Very Large Array, and it is large. There are 27 round satellite dishes, the diameter bitch about as big as this building, and it's set in a Y shape on railways so they can go each different direction so that I think it actually, when fully extended, that it'd be like the size of the telescope, the size of Washington, D.C., the Very Large Array, or VLA for short, picks up radio signals from outer space. And it has to be this large because we are so very, very far away from stars and galaxies out there. Signals from sources millions of light years away, they are so, so, so weak that the total energy of all radio signals ever received equals the impact of a snowflake hitting the planet. Now think of all the time money and energy put into the VLA in hopes of perhaps picking up a faint message from outer space. And look what we have sitting in our laps right now. God's word, direct delivery. Right now you and I have the prophetic word fully confirmed. Do you see why this is a means of grace? You and I can rejoice that we have a crystal clear message from Almighty God through his holy word. But today we can also rejoice because our God has a VLE, a very large ear, to hear all of our prayers, even when they feel like they have about the impact of a snowflake on earth. Your weak prayers, our God hears. Sometimes I know we think, what's the point of this prayer? It doesn't seem to even reach the ceiling. There's a plenty of point to prayer, and that is what Jesus, our Lord Jesus, wants us to understand today. Verse 1, and he, Jesus, told them a parable to the fact that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Don't you love this? I love this especially because usually we hear one of Jesus' parables, and then Pastor Joel has to go through all the thinking to try and figure out what he's saying. I love this because he gives us the point beforehand so we won't miss it. J.C. Ryle says, the key hangs at the door here. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. That is the big point I want you to walk home with today. Now back in Luke 11, Jesus taught his disciples. Basically, there's no such thing as a prayerless disciple. He taught them to pray and to be encouraged to be bold in our prayers. Here in Luke 18, Jesus assumes that you and I are going to struggle in this discipline. 
And that's great if you're in a prayer warrior season. I promise you there will be times when you struggle. Now this call to persistent prayer follows Jesus' message from last week in Luke 17 at the end where he was giving a very serious message about fiery trials that were going to come on the disciples. Jesus said, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. Remember, he's on his way to Jerusalem to die. And he says, and if you're my disciple, you are going to see the same. And when I'm gone, some days it's going to be so bad, you're going to long for my return. You're going to wish I was here with you. And then Jesus added, and false teachers are going to arise and say, here he is, here he's coming, and point to the date of my return. And Jesus says, don't you be fooled by the wolves. They will point you only to counterfeit kingdoms. He said, you stay the kingdom of God course and continue to lose your life in order to save it, in order to gain it. Now, last week, I wanted to keep preaching to you, I'll confess, because you may have walked out of here with your head on your chin. It was a very serious message. Like I expect these disciples are feeling, which is why Jesus then follows it up. This is all the same message. Here's your help, boys. Keep praying and don't lose heart. And look how he communicates this in a parable with a couple of really extraordinary characters. Verse 2, he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Onto the stage, Jesus brings the most dreadful judge you can imagine. He's dreadful first because he's obviously a Gentile unbeliever. He doesn't fear God. Probably someone set up by Herod, a Roman judge. That's not all it gets worse he does not respect his fellow men now it's one thing to not be influenced or be impartial as a judge but an uncaring judge who does not care about anybody's rights i mean this is bad he lacks all any and all principles any guardrails by which to give just judgments to anyone he's completely unqualified that's what jesus is saying i mean public confidence is based on respecting people and inherent rights it makes it extraordinary that this is the guy who has the power over people's lives, which serves to really amplify the next character, a person who is utterly powerless. Verse 3, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Anybody in this society, they would see that this is not good. You couldn't come to this judge for justice. But a widow in ancient cultures, you know what? This is somebody on the very bottom rung of the community. And widows were especially vulnerable, as we see is the case here. This woman already has the deck stacked against her, and an adversary saw it and pounced. So you see her position. And I know some of you actually understand her position, because I've stood with some of you in the case of injustices. But this widow has no pastor. She has no advocate. She has no family. She has to go to court on her own. Can you imagine her in court weeping and presenting her evidence? And this judge with the glazed over eyes who doesn't care a bit, doesn't give a rip. This dreadful judge brings down his gavel and says, overruled, case dismissed, move on, and they escort her out of the courtroom. But this is not the last of her. You see, she is an extraordinary character as well. Jesus says the judge's dreadfulness is more than matched by this widow's persistence. The judge walks out of the courtroom to get his lunch. And there she is, waiting on the steps. 
Judge, give me justice against my adversary. He waves her off and he heads off to his restaurant. He's smelling his favorite dish as they bring it out. His eyes lies up, his light up, his mouth is salivating. He's ready to take his first bite and in his ear, Judge, give me justice. And he looks and there she is in the window. So he gets a to-go bag and heads back to the office. End of the day, he sneaks out the back door. He heads home. He's ready to relax for the evening. He turns down the street. Oh, no, there she is at his gate. Judge, give me justice. And he brushes her aside and says, go fly a kite. So he goes, lays down, has a nice evening, gets up in the morning, and he walks outside. And what does he see? There's a kite flying over his house that has a message. Give me justice. <laughs> and at the end, there's a string. And there's this widow. Give me justice, judge, your early morning reminder. This judge says, will you get a load of this lady? Day after day, this widow has a one-string fiddle, and she keeps plucking it persistently again and again until one day he's had it. And he says, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. For the simple reason that this widow will not stop badgering this guy. He gives her justice. And speaking of this, of justice, English Standard Translation does not do justice here to the force of the pounding. I think the message actually gets it better. He says, I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. This is getting punched in the face. This fellow fears there's no lengths to which she will not go to have him deal with her adversary. And we're all laughing at Jesus' story here, at how this powerless widow went out, and the Lord looks you right in the eyes, and he says, pray always and don't lose heart. We're all facing fire trials at different times. And Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, when those seasons come, or when you see injustices happening to other people and it breaks your heart. And Jesus has told his disciples, this will just happen. He just said it. He says, go to your heavenly father, just like this widow did to the judge. Do you guys realize that when you're feeling absolutely helpless in life, that is your greatest asset to prayer, your helplessness. Effectual prayer is simply coupling your helplessness with faith in a mighty God. That's all that prayer is. This is a word for some of us today who may be feeling hopeless. Maybe you've quit praying because you feel like God is an uncaring judge. You feel like your prayers, they don't reach any further than the ceiling. Friend, I got good news. Your father has a very large ear to hear your cries. Jesus is saying, Father God is more willing to hear your prayers than you are to pray them. When Jesus places this unrighteous judge as the God figure, I know some commentators are like, why does he do that? It's not a parallel. It's a contrast. Jesus is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. Jesus is saying, if an unjust judge will give justice when he's pestered, how much more will the perfectly just judge? This is the theme of the Bible over and over again. God asked Abraham, shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? And the answer is yes, throughout Scripture. My discouraged friend, if a judge with a reputation for being shameless will do what is right, how much more will God, whose reputation is mercy 
and compassion. Like we sang in Psalm 100, he wants his reputation to be known as that. How much more will he vindicate his elect as they cry out to him day and night? Deep, dear disheartened soul, if this widow who has absolutely no one, no one who cares about her, can get justice by her persistence as one of God's elect, there's another greater, lesser argument, lesser greater argument here. Do you see that? How much more will God's chosen children get justice? I know some of us have fearful, doubting, pensive hearts constantly during the work week. Well, Jesus sent Pastor Joel to remind you of this today. That God, he's actually brought you here for a reason this morning. I don't know why you came. But God is telling you, you need to stop acting like you're a stranger. Once you were not a people, but now you are my people, God says. The Father actually set his love on you. That's what election means. Before you were even born. Before you ever did what was good or bad. The Father and the Son went to the greatest lengths you can imagine. Covenanting to go to the, have Jesus go to the cross to set you free from sin and shame. That tugging you feel in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit given by the Father to unite you to His Son, Jesus Christ. And that same Spirit now gives you unlimited, free, broadband coverage wherever you are. There are no dead zones for you. You can cry out and your Father's very large ear will take it up. He hears your cries. Jesus is saying, remember when suffering, when rejection, when injustice comes, remember who you are and who you belong to. Stop being hopeless. Disciples are actually the only people on the planet who have no reason to be hopeless. So pray. Pray and pray again until God gives you justice. So let me ask, why else do we struggle to pray? Or why do we get easily distracted? I would suggest we tend to be blind. Blind. First to our adversary, and second to our helpless condition on the battlefield. I was struck last week when I saw President Zelensky, the leader of Ukraine, sitting down with several European leaders, prominent fellows, and they were all dressed in suit and ties, very nice suits and ties, but not Zelensky. He's in a green combat shirt with all these suits and ties sitting around him. Why was he dressed like that? Because he understands there's a war going on. There's injustice going on, and he's identifying with his people who are on the battlefield. Zelensky wants these leaders to have no doubt about his desperate condition, and he keeps persistently plucking that same string. Give us help, give us help, give us help, so that his people will not continue to be slaughtered by their adversary. I don't care what you think about it. I see there a picture of our Lord Jesus who left his high place and became man to identify with us on the battlefield. He saw our Lord. He saw our war that we're in. And our Lord Jesus, what does he do all the time? He prays persistently. We've seen this in Luke. He prays fervently. We'll actually see this in Luke 23, that scene at Mount Olivet. As the enemy is about to launch the greatest assault, Jesus instructs his disciples, to pray that you will not enter into temptation. And he steps over here to start praying. And he's praying so earnestly that his sweat is becoming blood. And what are the disciples doing during prayer time? It's 
sleeping. Are we too sleepy? Too comfortable? We sit down, turn on our TV shows, snack on chips. Do we give our five to ten minutes of prayer time in the morning and think we've done our duty? I confess I struggle with this. My alarm went off. I hit snooze. About five minutes in, I went to sleep yet, and I was like, oh. I could be using this time to pray, and I'm preaching on this. I got myself out of bed. Do we struggle to stay focused when we pray? I encourage you to discipline yourself, to fight your temptation to not pray, and you will see victories. We'll see victories. I see a lot of empty chairs here. We will see victories if we pray. Jesus gave us prayer as wartime walkie-talkies, as John Piper said, so that we can constantly call in for heavenly air support. You see, we're in a battle with an adversary who wants to destroy you, your family, and your friends all the time. Actually, the word for adversary here is the same word used that Peter uses in 1 Peter 5.8 when he says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I think another reason we don't persist in prayer, and I think Jesus' main point here, is because we lose heart at times. We look around and it seems like the devil's already won. Our loved ones, our neighbors, our nation, they're just too far gone. I get it. I have two younger brothers who live nearby. There's actually a significant age gap between us. They don't even know our father. They actually grew up in a what was once maybe a faithful church, and the pastor there became like a father figure to them. Jamie and I visited the church maybe 15 years ago. There was no gospel, and the wolf in the pulpit, he said that God gave him a vision that 2020 was the end, the very thing Jesus warned us about last week. Now, my brothers began to cut ties with the family about 10 years ago. So about six years ago, after failed attempts to reach out, I decided to go to an evening service so I could see my brothers. I sat down in the service and I heard, I actually found out you can preach Hebrews 1 and not see Jesus. When the service was over, my brother who was sitting in the front row, I made my way up to go see him and the wolf intercepted me. We actually had a cordial conversation where he warned me about all the world's dangers and said he really hoped that I would return. I walked over to my brother, still sitting in that seat. He was not as cordial. He wouldn't even get up. He told me bluntly, we cannot have any relationship. I asked him why. He gave me some vague answer after repeated questions of how I'd wronged him. I asked him to please explain what I had done. He wouldn't answer. So finally, I just said, please forgive me. I said about five times. Finally, he said no, really loud in anger. And Mr. Wolf was prowling. And he walked over to tell me at that point, I was unwelcome here. And he added he knew that I was pure evil from the moment he saw me walking in the doors. So I took it was less than sincere five minutes earlier. But it's not wise to call out a liar in his lair. So I turned to my brother and I asked his forgiveness again. And suddenly these fingers snapped in my face and I saw this wolf trembling. His eyes were full of fear of me. And I don't know how that happens. I'm not a scary person. I can't even scare cats away from me. Jacob will tell you yesterday. <laughs> And he started screaming at me. He said, I want to tell you one thing. You stop praying for your brothers. 
A third attorney snaps his finger, you stop praying for your brothers. I rarely have moments where I see into spiritual realities. But at that moment, because I had been praying, Jesus gave me peace and a clarity that I've rarely seen in kind of a bigger sense as I looked out and I saw 40 to 50 eyes taking in this scene with me, my unforgiving brother in the front row, and this trembling wolf who's screaming at me, who somehow knew I was a man of prayer. How did you know that? And it scared the darkness out of him. And I suddenly, at that moment, I saw the power of prayer because my praying was his number one greatest concern. I had this amazing peace. And I turned from him. I looked at my brother with a smile and some sadness, I'm sure. And I shared a 60-second or less gospel, loud enough for everyone in there to hear of what it means to be a forgiven sinner saved by grace. And I said, I hope you will forgive me. And the last words I said to him six years ago were, I love you and I'm not giving up on you. And I walked out the door with all these eyes on me. I got into my car, nearly had a heart attack at that point, having walked out of an enemy's stronghold unscathed. And I drove to my church. And I remember this guy hugging me and we cried quite a bit. And then we prayed fervently for my brothers. It's weird that a wolf was the one who taught me what Jesus says here. Our adversary is afraid of our prayers. So pray always. Don't lose heart. James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I've never told that story publicly. But ten days ago I was reminded of this. I took a mid-morning drive to drop off a birthday letter to my youngest brother, who I haven't seen in 10 years. And I pulled into the edge of his driveway, and I decided I'll just say a quick prayer before dropping this in his box. It wasn't even 45 seconds, and all of a sudden I... Somebody's busy rapping on my window, and it's my brother's wife shouting, What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I opened the door, and I apologized for alarming her. And she said, What are you doing? I said, I'm sorry, I was saying a quick prayer. And she said angry, don't you dare do that. You do not pray to the same father we do. At which point she was testifying against herself. And I said, I'll go. Will you please give this to my brother? Tried to hand her the letter. She refused, started repeatedly calling me a wimp, informed me to stop writing letters. And she repeated multiple times, you stop praying for him. You stop praying for him. I asked her forgiveness for bothering her. She said no and slammed the car door shut. And by the way, a counterfeit can only go so far in pretending it's a church. Forgiveness is gospel currency that cannot be counterfeited. The enemy cannot duplicate some things. I drove away with an increased sense of desperation over this injustice, just like the widow. And super encouraged by the power of prayer that causes our adversary to tremble. And I've prayed more for my brothers in the last 10 days than I have in some time. Why does it frustrate them that I pray? It would not bother me in the least if a Muslim or a Hindu came up and said, I'm going to pray for you. I would pray that as they prayed for me, they'd find themselves on a different channel and meet with my Jesus. Why is our adversary so fearful when we pray? It's not wimpy me. It's because of who I'm praying to. My mighty Father, who looks down and sets the captives free, who looses the bonds, who's ever listening to his children's cries for mercy, even those wimpy prayers. 
I'll take back that I'm a wimp. My wife, Jamie, was actually really upset about this. She even looked up wimp in the dictionary and established conclusively that my actions were the opposite of wimpy. <laughs> and she added that she would like to go over there and have a talk with a sister-in-law she's never met. I advised against that because I don't want a restraining order put on us. <laughs> but I appreciate that, dear. Because it is unjust for our adversary to prey on our families and friends. That's happening. Some of you are feeling me right now. I don't know your families and friends, but you've seen it. The devil has assaulted your life and has assaulted your friends and your family members. The good news is this text is Jesus understands. And he says in verse, at the end of verse 7, Will he delay long over them, your prayers? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Some of us are thinking right now, Jesus, no, the delay has been really long. Speedily? That's why we read Second Peter 2.9. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter is saying you need to be very thankful that God has a different calendar than you. Friends, the Lord may not come when you want, but he's always on time. The Lord may not come when you want, but he is always on time. What would happen if God answered all his children's prayers immediately when injustice happened. Well, if God was not slow to fulfill his promise, then every time we cried out over injustice, a whole lot of people would perish and not repent of their sins. We would have perished. Some of us, folks we love, would perish. But God in his grace, he actually privileges us with this means of grace, prayer, allows us to participate in him saving them. Isn't that amazing? And seeing them repent and turn to Christ Jesus. And I've seen it happen in family members. And it took a long time. How sweet it is. No matter how long to see them discover that they're greatly loved. So much so that God would not spare his own son to save them. Maybe that's you. You have yet to come to Jesus. And you know a loved one has been praying for you and praying for you and praying for you and you know they love you and you know your stubbornness is leading you nowhere. In fact, all it's doing is causing you to commit more injustices on everyone around you. Friend, don't delay. Because when the day of the Lord comes, Peter says, it will come like a thief. And Jesus was saying that last week. And then it's all over and there you'll be. You'll have to pay for your sins knowing full well that Jesus in love offered to freely pay for everything you've ever done, thought, said, did, what you didn't do. He's offered to foot the bill. So don't delay, if that's you. We're one day closer. Justice will come speedily. And we as believers, we need to leave here seeking to live holy lives, godly lives, waiting for and hastening that day. Notice Jesus ends this text by asking us a question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find the faith on earth? There's a definite article before that in the Greek. 
the faith. I don't think he's talking generically about the Orthodox Christian faith that Jude talks about. I think what Jesus means is the faith he's looking for is the sort of faith that's evidenced by desperate prayer, like we see in this widow. Last night I was in the ER for the third time in less than a month. Wonderfully, my mother-in-law got right in. Sorry, Dallas. Her situation was actually really desperate. There's actually a triage system in the hospital. It's not first come, first serve. It's not most important person. They get help for it. No. It's the person who's in the most desperate condition and persists in crying out for help. I think Jesus is revealing to us here that there is a heavenly triage system where widows and orphans get priority or those who see the desperate situation that surrounds them and the injustices caused to others. And Jesus hears those prayers. The Father hears those prayers. Those who call out persistently knowing that their Father has a very large ear to their cries. So I just want to encourage us to take in our desperate situation and pray, pray, pray. And then pray some more. Learn to commune with Christ all the time, every day. It's time to land the plane. I'm not a thought reader, but I do suspect some of us are thinking, I'm glad the sermon's over so we can pray. Amen? Let's pray. (laughs) Rise up, O judge of all the earth, and pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. They say the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. So, Father, we lift up to you that situation in Nigeria, the 40 sisters and brothers who are gunned down while worshiping just two weeks ago today. We remember the shooting in that Alabama church. And we lift up persecuted Christians throughout all the world, and especially in Ukraine. And we pray that may all those who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof which withers before it can grow. We pray that you will undo the work of our adversary Satan. And in our own lives, and in this community, we pray that you will snatch away into your kingdom those he seeks to make as miserable as himself. May the trials we face help us to see the battlefield we're on. Give us your spirit to open our eyes, and may we commune with our Lord Jesus. May we share his concerns, and may we love what he loves. And when we see something this week that would grieve the heart of our Lord Jesus, may we fall on our knees and call in instantly for heavenly air support. Father, will you compel us to pray often and always for ourselves and for others, and never, never, never lose heart. And may we live holy and godly lives, ever hastening the day of our Lord Jesus. And may he find us, may he find in us the faith described in Luke 18. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.